First Corinthians chapter two. Now we've been talking about this whole semester. We've been talking about body, soul, and spirit, right? Do you see? This, I hate this thing. I've got this horrible habit now of like adjusting the mic cable, so I apologize. Um, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's what I want us to do. I, I, didn't, I showed you my notes, uh, which don't exist. Uh, I, I really want us to just look at this chapter um, and draw out of it now what, what I believe we really should be able to grasp in our understanding of body, soul, and spirit. I, I think this is a really brief uh, look at, at some of uh, Paul's testimony in ministry, but here, here's what I believe that this should do. This is exactly what I was just talking about. This testimony of, of what Paul um, is speaking about and his relationship uh, with the Spirit and what the Lord's done, here's what this needs to do for us. With our understanding of, um, remember we have, uh, we have Spirit, I know, I know you know, okay, I'm just writing it. We have Spirit, Soul, and Body. And we're going to see these, uh, not all three of them, but we're going to see this uh, come into play. And with our understanding of each of these things, what I want us to do in this chapter is really ground that to our lifestyle, is, is bring this um, from where I think it normally rests, is like we read these stories and these testimonies about uh, people in Scripture, and we kind of have this like hero worship, but, but, but this is... This is probably this is not the intention, right? Because the same Holy Spirit that is that is working in these men and women is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. And so, what this should do is this should serve as testimony to strengthen us and go. Okay, if God can do that, then He is capable of this in me. Does this make sense? And so, uh, as we look at this, I don't want this to be abstract. Okay, I don't want this to be just uh, theory. But this this to me is where we connect it from uh, what we've learned. Okay, to lifestyle. And we're going we're gonna to read of Paul's testimony of lifestyle here. And, and I, I really, my prayer for, for now, and that's why there's no notes, is because uh, I, I, I'm not, this is not a day of theory. This is a day where it's got to connect to you to lifestyle. And so I, I'm going to ask a lot of questions, uh, probably. I just want to see what you see here in light of all that we've journeyed in this semester. Does that make sense? Is that weird to talk about this semester like it's over? Because... It's almost over, and that's weird to me. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to stop probably pretty frequently, but we're, we are going to uh, possibly read the, the whole chapter. So, uh, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech uh, or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive uh, words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So what is, what's he saying in these first, uh, in these first few, few verses about how he came? He says, he says I, I came to you uh, when I came to you, brethren, is how he, is how he starts this out. So, uh, and, and then he, he kind of goes on these next few verses and describes how he came to them, okay? So, so how did he come? He came humbly, okay? Say again.
Not relying on his brain. How do we want to... What do you mean? Like... Is knowledge a fair word for what you're... Okay. He, re- he relied uh, on the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, now stop. What does that look like? I mean, again, it, we, we, can, we can start listing and go quite far in our list and very quickly distance ourselves from the list. But here's, but here's literally what he's saying. He says, uh, I, I determined to know nothing among you except for what? Yeah, except for Christ and what? Christ crucified, right. Because everything hinges on the sacrifice of Christ. And so he's coming to them not in, uh, not in arrogance, not in, uh, not in persuasive. Because remember, what, what culture is he in? Anybody know? What, what culture is he speaking into? Who's kind of ruling things? This is, this is Greek-Roman culture, right? And so what is very, very prevalent in this culture in terms of uh, thinking? Yeah, philosophy, right? This is like the, the birth of, um, I, I think you, I don't know if you'd say Western philosophy, but uh, this, is, this is where the, the deep thinkers uh, really, really start to, start to emerge. And so what he's doing is he's distancing himself from, uh, from that group. He's distancing himself from people that come in, in theory. And he's saying, look, I, I'm pretty much coming to you empty-handed. The only thing, the only thing that matters here is Christ and Christ crucified. This is the only knowledge that I'm gonna that I'm gonna bring is Christ and Christ crucified. And then he says, uh, "I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling." I mean, what does that what does that look like? How does that how does that connect to us? Does that sound like it's good? I mean, let's be honest. Does that sound like a good thing? Why not? Okay. Fair. Why else? That's good. What, what, why, I mean, why else do you read that and you're like, eh. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. What else? It's pretty lame, right? I mean, well, think about like we're, we're trying to win people to Christ. We think of it as something we have to do. That's good. We have to have persuasive words. We have to be great public speakers. We have to have a fantastic message. We have to have five pages of notes versus what he's saying. And he relied on what did he say? That you might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He was setting that example by not resting in the wisdom. <coughs> That's good. So, okay, so, so then for us, how, how often have you, have you approached this campus and said, okay, the, the way that I'm going to serve this campus is in weakness and in fear and in much trembling?
And, and we, we, we can kind of get confused here and start to, to combat this and go, uh, well, uh, fear is not of the Lord. Uh, but we understand this is, this is not what he's, what he's talking about because the Lord says you must fear uh, the Lord your God. This is, this is the fear that he's, that he's speaking of. He's, so when he says I came in, uh, in weakness and fear and trembling, of what? And why? I mean, what's the point of coming that way, if, if your purpose is to have victory, right? Paul didn't come for defeat, right? He doesn't say that. He, he's coming for victory, but his victory uh, brings him in a uh, stance of weakness, fear, and trembling. Why? That's good. What else? Why is that so huge? Why is this so pivotal in, his, in, in all of, of what Paul uh, did? Understand, this is, this is his testimony. This is his approach to the people which he's asking the Lord, give me victory here. Bring men and women to, to you, and I'm going to do it in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. Why? Because his weakness is his greatest strength. She said it brilliantly, because when we're weak, the Lord is strong. What's happening here is Paul is recognizing the most healthy thing that we can recognize in our Christian life, that we cannot accomplish the gospel. That we cannot attain victory. That's why he says here that the only thing I'm coming to you with is Christ and him crucified because the gospel has already been accomplished. The law has already been fulfilled. Grace has already come. And the fullness of all things now rests in Him. And so if Paul were to come with any measure of himself, he would be, he would be taking a measure from, uh, from Christ and what's rightfully uh, the victory for Christ to win, Paul would be arrogantly assuming is his to claim. Do you see this? And so Paul's not coming. Here's where we, here's where we, we become very weak, uh, I think, in the understanding of this. And we go, okay, it's all about weakness and fear and trembling. And we get very mild and, and our words get uh, very, very small. And we get, f- we get fearful of who we're going to talk to and, uh, and, and how we're going to, uh, how we're going to walk this Christian life. And you got to understand this, this is not what Paul's saying. Paul is admitting and understanding something about these three things. Where is the weakness and fear and trembling come from? What is, he, what is he recognizing about himself? He's recognizing the inadequacy of this man to achieve the gospel. You see this? At the, at the outset, he's taking himself out of the picture. And he says, uh, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. And this, is, this brings it together, okay? And this, this to, to me is uh, where it's got to connect for us in this one verse. And we may not make it past here tonight. I, I hope we do. But he says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. I don't know. I don't feel like I need to explain this. I feel like you need to sit in it. (laughs) What does it mean? I 
This is a real checkpoint for us. What does it mean? Read that. Can you read your whole uh, verse 4? I mean, like, come on, what is, what is it? What do, you, what do you see here that's counter to what uh, I feel like we've accepted um, as normal? Like, what about this scripture is like bashing against uh, your, what, what you're in now? Because this grates against some of the, some of the things uh, in, my, in my life. Is it not yours? Why? Yeah. Yeah, it's a release of the burden, right? Because faithful is he who calls you who will also, uh, also do it. And when I pause, you can fill in the blank. <laughs> these, are, these are important things to know. So, so yeah, Danae, it releases us of uh, a really a responsibility, which uh, not responsibility that we're not good stewards of the word of the Lord, but uh, responsibility to see the outcome come to fruition. Does that make sense? Like, it's not on me. What's on me is obedience. The harvest is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. It's, it's his, right? My responsibility is to be in him so that he uses me not to accomplish my purposes, but to accomplish his. But what does this word demonstration do to you? He just said, I came in weakness and in trembling. And I didn't, I didn't come in persuasive words, but in demonstration. And then he uses this word of uh, power, which is not what we... Well, I didn't write it, but not the other, not the weakness, fear, and trembling. I didn't come in persuasive words. I came in demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit. What is it? What do you see there? Like, yeah. 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 That's good. Did y'all hear that? That's good. What does that word demonstrate mean? Do what? What do you think? What does it mean? What you go to the mall and people are doing demonstrations of their of their products. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, uh, have you ever, I don't, I don't know, we don't have a mall here, um, <laughs> or we do, that was really lame, when we first moved here, somebody referenced the mall, and I still haven't found it, because, anyway, um, and then I passed it, and I was like, there's, there's the mall, and it's like, there's like two stores, and it's, anyway, <laughs> awesome, um, 
But so have you ever been to a big mall, right? There's, there's these little um, kiosks, and a lot of times, like, the really gimmicky, junky toys, uh, people are out um, demonstrating them, right? They're like the little helicopters, and I, I say gimmicky, junky. I own one because I thought it was really cool. Um, anyway, uh, so they're out, you know, flying the helicopters. And, and what, what's, the, what's the difference between um, the helicopter that's in the box and the one that's, that's flying around? What's the one that's in the box relying on to sell you? Say again. Yeah, right. What it's it's relying on its eloquentness, its its ability to speak to you about uh, what it might do. Right. It's all theory. Right. All, a- advertising is all theory. Right. That's why on the bottom it's like results not typical of all, of most things. You know. What I mean? I, funny story. I, one time uh, I saw this commercial and it was like a, it was the Taco Bell Fresca uh, diet. It's been like three or four years ago. But this lady gets on like uh, and testifies of eating Taco Bell. Taco Bell! And like seven days a week. And it's like, I lost 32 pounds. Uh, you know, like <laughs> Taco Bell. And this deal on the bottom, results not typical. And I was like, duh, it's a Taco Bell diet. Like what? Anyway, all the, ad- the advertising is just, it's just meant to sell itself based on theory, right? Based on what it's, what it's supposed to do. But here's the difference. When you got the guy out there that's actually flying the thing, it's like, oh, that's what, it, that's what it says it's going to do. But not only that, now I'm actually seeing it. The, the demonstration of it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to sell itself from the packaging. Why? Because it's demonstrating it. It's because it's doing it and we observe it doing it and that's what sells us. That's why I bought the thing. Because I saw how awesome it was. And you're probably like, that's really not awesome. But it was so cool. You know, it's a little indoor helicopter. I'm, maybe I'll bring it someday. But it was awesome, and I, wouldn't have, I would have never bought it if it would have stayed in the box. Because I would have walked by it, and I would have gone, I know about those things. And that thing will probably break in, you know, a few months. But the point is, the, the point is that the gospel and the kingdom of heaven do not come in words. You understand this? They come in demonstration. And, and what we are, a lot of times, is we're people of words, right? What we want to think about or figure out, what is the best way in which I can talk to uh, this, this person next to me? What is the best way in which I can reach uh, this campus or my office or uh, my family or whatever? How do, I, uh, how do I figure this out in which my speech can be eloquent enough where I can sell them on this gospel? And Paul says, look, my speech, my, my preaching, can you imagine this? One of the greatest evangelists of all time was a terrible preacher. He says it. But he was a tremendous demonstrator. Because when Paul came up to, uh, came up to the guy and, and he says, man, I, I need money. And he says, uh, he says, I don't have that, but get up and walk. It's a demonstration. 
And this may, this may kind of grate against our experience. I'm, I'm telling you, it does mine because it pulls me out of my comfort zone. Because here's the deal. I would much rather memorize a lot of passages in here and then stand up to somebody and say, okay, let me tell you what I know. I would much rather do that than empty myself and rely completely on the Holy Spirit to demonstrate his power through me. Why? Because uh, memorizing and relying on myself is way more comfortable than emptying myself and being completely vulnerable to what the Lord may do through me. One is way easier than the other. One is way more comfortable than the other. But one, one comes in power and authority and one comes in persuasive speech. And so I'm not gonna, I, I can't, I'm not gonna spend time, uh, and here's the deal, I'm not saying that scripture is bad or that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't know this word. If you, if you hear that, then you have skewed this, this time, okay? And, and I don't think any of you, uh, any of you are. But if we sit here and all we do is we memorize the Roman road and, and feel like that's what's going to be the thrust uh, of this campus turning around, you've missed it. Because it's, it's going to happen when there's demonstration of who God is. And this is not, look, this is not demonstration of foolishness. This is not demonstration uh, of, of, of something that we come up with here, right? Demonstration happens when capital S, spirit, speaks to our spirit, right? And in obedience, we allow that truth to penetrate our body and our soul, and it comes out in obedience, That's demonstration. Do you see the process? Do you what, does he, what does he say? What's the reason? He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Because there is going to be a day, and you have probably experienced it, right? I, I, I mean, I would think that you, that you have where, where your faith and everything that you, uh, you believe kind of comes into question. Anybody? I mean, like, if I had a third hand, it would be up. You know, that's kind of weird. So, sorry. I don't know why I referenced a third hand. <laughs> anyway. But do you, but do you see... Like there's the, there is those moments where it where it comes down absolutely to the the final straw to the nitty gritty where you're like in in your by yourself in your room wherever you are in your car in this moment uh, where you feel like you're completely alone and the enemy has confronted you and attacked you to the point where you are down to the last thread of faith that that it's it's got to be real because I got to have something to hang on to in this moment or everything breaks. And I promise you, if our confidence rests in the wisdom of men, then in those moments we will break because you cannot always come talk to me. And you cannot always uh, just like, I, I don't know, find your, find your mentor. Look, you're going to Ecuador and there's gonna be moments where you're completely alone. And the only thing, the only thing that's going to press you through those moments where the enemy is pressing and pressing and pressing is the demonstration of the power of the gospel in your life. Not because I said it, but because you touched it, you felt it, you experienced it, you knew God because of the demonstration of his power to you. 
And if it, man, if, if believe, as believers, we sell the gospel as this like persuasive idea, then we have sold the world short of the grace and the love that they deserve to know and hear. Because that love and that grace is the demonstration uh, of a a powerful God, of a God that rescues and saves and delivers, and they deserve to know that God. Do you agree? So this is what he's saying. He's he's saying it's, it's uh, it's so that they will rely on the power of God and not the wisdom of men. And he says, uh, yet we do not speak wisdom, or yet we do speak wisdom. And this is kind of getting a little funny here, uh, to those who are mature. So he's saying, but there, there is wisdom. There is wisdom in, in maturity, and there is this discussion. But, it, but then again, he, he kind of uh, comes back and says, uh, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, which are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for them, uh, for those who love him. So this is cool. I, I, I don't know. I, just, I thought this was a really cool passage where he's talking, he says, um, he says that our, our demonstration of it is, uh, is what we want to show men. But he says in maturity, there, there is this, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a, a dialogue because he didn't really, really explain it that way, but there is um, this interaction in wisdom. But here's the cool part about it. It's this interaction in wisdom that's not man's wisdom, right? He's still clarifying this as, look, but in maturity, we speak of wisdom. We operate in wisdom, but it's wisdom that's not our own. It's wisdom that was God's, uh, that, he's, that he's predestined for us to enter into, right? Uh, but it's his wisdom. So and I, I don't know, I just think, I think that's, that's cool, that there is this, uh, this interaction with wisdom, but it's, it's still not ours. It's his, and it comes in maturity. Anybody want to hang out with God's wisdom in maturity? Come on. <laughs> For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Now, he's, he's got a capital S here. So remember, you got to just kind of, I want this to hit home based on what we've learned. Uh, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Isn't this cool? Like, just, just stop right there. That, this, that the Holy Spirit, capital S, what does he do? What does it say that he's actively doing? Think about this. Searching the depths of God. How deep is God? Like, just stop and and understand something, right? This guy right here, Holy Spirit, spends his time searching the depths of God and then coming and hanging out with you and me. Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just saying to you, well, I mean, the guy that, that has taken up residence in you permanently, like that's never going to leave you, spends his time, like he's like the coolest friend you could ever have, right? <laughs> spends his time searching the depths of a God that has no, uh, no beginning and no end. And the Holy Spirit's searching those depths. And then he's coming and he's speaking that to us. 
Like what? How rich is that? You know what I'm saying? Anna. How how unbelievable is that to you? That's the wisdom that you've imparted. That's mm. the wisdom that you've talked about. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I just can't. <laughs> what? Like, that's seriously. Like, Last night, that, that's the guy that I said, hey, can we just chat? And he's like, yeah, just give me a second because I've been just in the depths of God. And let me bring some of that to you. And when I say, Lord, man, what, what, do, you, what do they need today? He says, let me, hold on, let me search the depths of God. The, un, the, the, the completely limitless depths of God. And then let me just come spend time and soak you with it. Like, I just, it is overwhelming to me. Uh, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man? So here he's explaining what it looks like for the Spirit to search the depths of God. And he's, and he's giving us an analogy here that we can understand. He says, so um, who knows the thoughts of man but the Spirit of man? And, and watch this. He uses the... the um, the little s, and I don't, I write in all caps, so it's probably not cool that I do that when we're doing this, but. <laughs> right? So he says, who knows the thoughts of man but the spirit of man? But see, now you see this. Right now in this understanding, you see this, right? Because this is, this is the depths of our being. Like, this is the deepest part of us. And it says, who knows the thoughts of that man but the spirit of man, right? Where, who knows this but this, Right? Does this make sense? And he draws a comparison. And here's the cool part. He can do that because we're made in the image of God. So he can draw the comparison and say, and then who knows the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? Does this make sense? He can use this analogy and compare the two of us, which is wild, uh, because we're made in his image. And so this, this translates in our understanding. Does that make sense? So again, he's saying he searches the depths of God. He, he's searching the deepest uh, parts of God's heart. He's searching the depths of God's heart, and then he's making them known uh, to us. Like seriously, would, why do we not trust that guy? <laughs> why do we not say you can do with me whatever you want, I'd, whatever you want? Because I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know what it would look like. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. Why do I say those things? Now we have received not the spirit of the world. So in, in salvation, he's, this is what he's, he's connecting this. And I got excited and got ahead. And so he's saying kind of what I said, but he says, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So he's saying, look, we, we've not received that spirit uh, which is of the world. We're not, we're not submitted to that which is of the world, but we've received that capital S. You see this? Do you see how cool this is to understand this? We, we've received that capital S, the Holy Spirit, which is from God. He's saying that same spirit that I just talked about that knows the thoughts of God and searches his depths, that's the one you get. The same one that Jesus hung out with. The same one that's in the Trinity, that's the one that you get, right? You see that. Okay. 
like looking for nods everywhere. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things, dude, freely given to us by God. I'm telling you, I I don't know how we've made it this far. That's ridiculous. You've received the Holy Spirit, and because of that, you know the things that have freely been given to you by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Understand this. This is not going to ever make sense here. This is what he's saying. If you, he says, if you're the, the natural man, right? We've talked about this. This is this guy, okay? If you attempt to uh, reason and understand the things of the capital S Spirit, Here, it is going to be foolishness. Does that make sense? What would it it look like to you, uh, and this is probably kind of a cheesy example, but if I gave you um, glasses, have you ever seen the glasses, the... um, like horses in big cities that do the, uh, the carriages, you know, and uh, that's not just where they have them, but you, this is a pretty prevalent example, but that, where they have the blinders, why is that? Anybody a horse person knows the answer? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's about focus, right? But what does it do to their vision? Yeah, I, get, I mean, they don't really see much, right? They kind of see what's right in front of them. The reason for that is uh, is because it could be dangerous or harmful to them if something, you know, especially in cities, you know, you're talking about who knows what could happen, you know, who knows what could happen over here. A little kid freaks out and runs over. You know, you don't want them jumping in. Okay, obviously, we get the idea. I'm like explaining this to the T. <laughs> right? So, so they've been given this, this vision. And what do they have to do because of that, because of that vision? Where, how do they know where they're going to go? Because they can only see a very limited piece. And if, it's gonna, if they're going to turn right and all they can see is like straight, then, then how do they know uh, to turn right? Yeah, they have, yeah. Yeah, they, they have to feel it, right? They, it's trust. They have, to, they have to submit themselves to the control of, of the one that sees everything. You see this? It's because the guy's sitting up on like the bouncy thing with the cool hat and the lit up carriage uh you know he he sees everything but but if the horse takes over and the horse says look i'm not doing uh what you do they're gonna make a lot of uh, bad decisions because the horse is gonna is gonna lead based on its very limited perspective why because it's more comfortable because it's gonna walk by by sight and not by come on by faith. But we, we're people who need to walk by faith and not by sight. Why is that? Because I only see, look, reality is I only see what's in this room right now. But you know what the Spirit of the Lord knows? The guy that just walked by there, he knows exactly what he's thinking, exactly what he's about to do, and exactly what he needs. Right? Dude just passed. I don't know his name. Never seen him before because I didn't see him then. <laughs> he just was like a blur. But the Lord knows everything about him. And so if the Lord says to me, go out that door and shout, Aaron, that, looks, that sounds and looks ridiculous here, doesn't it? Because I don't know that guy, and, and, and all I see is right here. 
And this is a lot of times what we do. We get constrained and, and, and trapped because the things of God don't make sense to our natural mind. That makes no sense to my thought process, to my senses. Well, of course it doesn't because my perspective is limited. Does this make sense? When we submit ourselves to the Spirit of the Lord, we've submitted ourselves to God who, who knows all things, Right? And so to be obedient to him, to walk in what he, what he says to do, is a lot of times it's not going to make sense. It's because you don't have his view. You don't have his perspective. But when we submit ourselves to his perspective and we walk in that obedience and we've trusted ourselves to the, to the guy that's driving the, the carriage, the one that can see it all and knows exactly where to go. I promise you, the person that you love the most, who's going through the most difficult part of their life, you may know them as, as well as anybody in the world, but you do not know them as well as the Lord does. And you do not know, despite what you may think, you do not know exactly what they need. But he does. So wouldn't, wouldn't you rather just trust him? Wouldn't you rather just say, you know what, in, in light of that understanding, uh, you can have my words. Because <laughs> I'll just tell you, I've been, uh, you don't hear about it often, but um, my daughter is about to turn 20. And here's the deal. Uh, when we adopted her, she was 18. And I had to give up parenting really, really, really quickly. Because there's no, like, uh, parenting book for the 25-year-old that adopts an 18-year-old who's been through the, the m- most amount of junk you could ever uh, I- imagine in your life. <laughs> there's, no, there's no manual for that. I didn't know what she needed. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea, but we learned, Lindsay and I learned very quickly that the most effective parenting is the one that is given up and surrendered completely to the Lord. Because he knows exactly what she needs. He knows exactly what, in what way she needs to be disciplined. He knows exactly what words need to be said. He knows exactly the same things over my son, who's, uh, who's just now 14 months. You said it brilliantly. That our, our strength is in our weakness. Because when, when we recognize the, the all capability of God we very quickly trust and say, okay, then you can have it because you're the only one that's capable, you see? Does that make sense? Cool, okay, we'll finish. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually, uh, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. That's pretty cool. What does that say? What does that mean? You don't, walk into a, you don't walk into a situation and get appraised by the environment. You're the one that appraises the environment. Whew. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. If Nina were here, she would tell you about walking into some pretty gnarly environments in Asia. And here's the cool thing about that. Those environments don't shape her. She shapes the environment because she's appraised by the Lord. Isn't that cool? Guess what? You can go anywhere. I, I release you to go to the most dangerous parts of the world. You're appraised by the Lord. You're the one that shapes the environment, not the environment shaping you. Isn't that cool? So go to Ecuador. 
Go, go to the dorms. Go, go, uh, because you're the environment shaper. It's pretty cool. Like, way cool. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we, it's awesome, we have the mind of Christ. Right? Very cool. But we have the mind of Christ. We submit ourselves to the Lord. He takes us over to the point where our thoughts become his thoughts. Even though he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Okay, great, deal. I give up my thoughts, my ways. Let me have yours. So then I have the mind of Christ. Then I begin to think like he thinks. Then I begin to see what he sees. Then I hear what he hears and I do what he does. I pray what he prays and I go where he goes and I touch what he, what he touches and I heal what he heals. It's like, right? It's endless. Pretty cool. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's a pretty killer chapter, isn't it? Okay, well, here's what I want you to do. Um... I want you to receive that which the Lord uh, speaks over you and has said to you. I, each of you have received differently tonight uh, from the Lord, but what I'm going to do is just ask uh, the Holy Spirit to uh, seal the truth that He has spoken over you tonight. And that in Jesus' name, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, and because of the imparting of the fullness of His life to you in the form of the Holy Spirit, because of those things, um, that your life would be a demonstration of the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.